0: Have you ever experienced a moment in your life or maybe a season in your life that just felt racked with pain, with doubt, or the loneliness of darkness that just caused such a distinctive lack of hope? In other words, have you ever had a moment or a season in your life that just felt like this? For me, it was my freshman year. I had moved away from home to go to school. Uh, And like any late teenager, early 20s, armed with like all sorts of new knowledge and philosophy, which initially was encouraging. But then as the months moved on in my freshman year, I found myself really struggling of doubting the knowledge of God that I had before, the experience of God that I grew up with, but then also the experience of the pain of death, of a life of a very close family member like ending. I remember talking to a friend of mine in that season, uh, thinking like all was lost and really struggling to find any solace, any hope, any peace, any joy, any version of love that I could grab onto. And what he said has always stuck with me. He said, Jimmy, I like, yeah, I don't know what to say. What you've been through is rough. I guess I would just say, um, start with Jesus and then keep going from there. if you felt like this before you're in good company, both with those that are around you, whatever site you're at or wherever you're tuning in or with me, with your church family, you are in good company. Also with the mothers and fathers of our faith who have gone before us, who too have suffered through deep pain and doubt and darkness. Like what do we do when we feel like this? Interestingly in Isaiah's prophecy, which we come back to a lot of times in this Christmas season, speaks to darkness and hope. Isaiah's prophecy to Israel written in the eighth century BCE. So uh, literally almost a thousand years before Jesus and thousands and thousands of years uh, before us experiencing this together today, written into the context of war and suffering and the fatigue of the people of God. He writes this in Isaiah nine verses one to two, a prophecy of future leaning towards hope. He says, nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not Go on forever. My brothers and sisters, wherever you're at, I'm at, we're at. Listen, listen. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles. Oh, listen, listen. When Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with the kavod of God, with the Kadas of God, with his glory and light. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will. Will shine. Isaiah says, For those ancient mothers and fathers trying their best to follow God, the darkness will not last. For now it might feel dark, but the lights will come on. For those rattled by despair, hope will be born into the world in a person. For those longing for the end, for the end of it all, in the beginning came the light, and then in John's gospel, which will be the focus of our attention uh, today together. In John's gospel, in the beginning was the word, the logos, the light of God. And so, my friends, welcome to our Christmas series, The Light of the World How Jesus Illuminates Our Hearts and Our Homes and Our World, where for the next few weeks leading up to and in and through Christmas, we'll look at three very simple but profound concepts Jesus as the Light and Logos today, next week, Jesus as the Light of the World. What does the the impact of the incarnation, Jesus birth and entry into human flesh in the world. Uh, how does it make a difference? How did everything change from that moment? And then week three, the ministry, the work, the life, the person, the enfleshment of Jesus in very humble circumstances, in a very different way, then we would expect to read the birth of God. Okay, I'm gonna invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter one, a very familiar section of scripture. And we're gonna read John chapter one all the way through verse 14. If you've never um, read the Bible before, you're not really like handy with it. John is one of uh, the oldest or like the latest gospels, which are the the Greco-Roman biographies of the teaching, the life, the death, ministry and resurrection and the hope of Jesus. All of the gospel writers are coming at it from a different angle and John is no exception. So if you go to kind of the middle of your Bible and you go Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, that's where we'll be picking it up in verse one. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. And then God sent a man, John the Baptist, whoa, to tell everyone about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected or turned away, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So, the word became human, (laughs) fleshed living dwelling made his tabernacle, his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness and we have seen his glory, his kavod, the glory of the father's one and only son. Okay, this is a wild, wild beginning to a gospel text. And it differs from every other gospel text. Matthew, Mark and Luke start in similar ways with different idiosyncrasies for the text, um, Mark especially. But then John just goes like way off into left field and starts with, first of all, no mention of its author. So where we get John's authorship for this gospel is basically scholarly and church tradition consensus. Very similar to the other gospel, but John interesting, he he gets right to the point with Jesus as the starting and the end to the whole story. In the beginning was the word. So who wrote this book? We don't actually know for sure. And in ancient history, the cataloging of ancient history, it's actually not that big of an issue or big of a deal. The authorship, it gives witness to the text, but it's not the meat and potatoes of the text. The point is the text and who the text points to. So, who wrote this? We don't know for sure, but given some of the focus of like where John heads later, it's plausible that this is John, the disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, one of the sons of Zebedee, and he starts following Jesus when he is quite, quite Young, Good scholarly consensus would suggest that he's in his like early, maybe mid, maybe late teens, but definitely a teenager and the youngest one. And he captures the essence of the, the brilliance, the brilliance of the philosophy, the energy, the spark of God in Jesus that was there at the inception of all creation at the time of the writing the writing of this book, uh, and then the writing of of, um, John's revelation. So typically attributed uh, attributed to John are this gospel is an epistle or a letter. And then um, when he's exiled towards the end of his life uh, on the Island of Patmos, he writes the revelation of God. And John will expand on the word, the logos imagery by calling Jesus in, in revelation, not just the word, but the very word of God. Okay. That was, that was free, that was some free context for you. So John by this time is, is quite old, both in writing, uh, certainly Revelation, but also in writing his, his gospel. The story, the, the, the capturing of the mission and the method um, of Jesus and the significance that it had on planet earth. So John is likely as tradition holds, looking back on, he's waiting to write uh, and he's experiencing much as a young and then middle-aged and now older man, much of the response and the reaction of the apostles due to the birth, the life, the ministry, the death and the resurrection, and then the birth of the church. Like there is a new beginning that is happening. And so John writes late to get all of the details. In fact, he records um, in some of his writing that like, if I were to write anything towards the end of the book of John, if I were to write everything down, it would fill up all of the books in the world. So trust that what I am um, recounting to you is faithful and true. John is looking back on all that has happened, all that he's experienced and how his faith has been changed, reshaped, renewed and starts legitimately at the beginning. In the beginning, he says, in the beginning. And what happens at the beginning? Now, as a good Jewish boy or girl growing up with Torah, um, learning the history of your mothers and your fathers and the traditions of Abraham and Isaac and Moses and Jacob, you knew your book and your Bible in the beginning would like prompt those images for you of like, oh yeah, oh yeah, this is how, this is Genesis 1 and Exodus 1. In the beginning, God created, say it with me, the heavens and the The earth, this is how God got things started. Genesis one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and then things got slipped up. But then in Exodus one, God creates the heavens and the earth uh, and humans within it, the, the apex of God's creation that he, he has intimate relationship with that he cares for them and loves them and stewards them and invites them to steward and subdue care for the world. And then things get screwed up. And then in Exodus 1, God's rescue plan comes into being and God dwells among them. Exodus one, God makes his dwelling, his tabernacle, his tents among them. Literally he sets up camp in their midst. But now John goes even further in the first few verses in the first four verses in the beginning, there is a new Genesis, a new Exodus, a new creationing, a creation happening like here, now, in Jesus. And it's one of hope and joy and peace and expectation of light and love. And this light will never be extinguished. In the beginning, there was the word. The word was there with God and was God. And this word or logos is the actual translation. This word logos, energy, wisdom, person, presence gave life gave life to everything. Everything found its being. Uh, Later, Paul will say in and through him, we have our being, Colossians chapter three. In this word, logos, energy, wisdom, presence, person, through his life brought light to everyone and no amount of suffering or pain or doubt or darkness will ever put it out. This is the future that, Isaiah was prophesying, was foretelling in expectation, the hope that, that the, the light of God, the life of God would not just move in, but would be embodied in a person in Messiah. And that hope would be unending that through his life, light would be brought to everyone. No amount of darkness would ever extinguish it or put it out in Jesus. Everything is created, rescued and restored. And God is fully here. Nowhere else, not leaving, staying, God is fully here. This is the intent of John's writing that the light and life of the word, the logos who is Jesus, illuminates the darkness with the light that can never be put out. This is Christmas. Jesus is the light, the hope of the world. Jesus is the incarnation of God, the living presence, the light for all to see and he's here, he's here. No darkness can extinguish it. This is why I heard one pastor this week say like, December is like the fourth quarter of the game with the last two minutes left and so much can change. So much hope can be infused in those last two minutes if we can see it. So a little bit about the word, a word about the word. The, the the phraseology, the word picture that John gives here to to spark things, to get things going in his gospel, where he just starts with Jesus at the beginning and ends with Jesus at the end, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. The word isn't actually the word, which is a bit of a word. Uh, it's the word logos. It's the word logos. So light and logos. In the beginning was the logos and the logos was with God and the logos was God. Now, um, this would not be, this might seem very strange to us. You're like, okay, that's a lot of words that you've used to describe words, Jimmy. Like, when are your birds going to end? I get it. I get it. Stay with me. This... Is, is foreign to our ears, but in the ancient Near East in particular, um, in a Jewish context in an ancient Jewish context and ancient Greek context, and certainly in an ancient pagan context, the, the logos had multiple different iterations, meanings, inflections, and word pictures that would be conjured up as you heard it. And so this is the brilliance of John's gospel illuminated by the Holy Spirit to bring meaning into the lives of the hearers that would read and hear and to us today. This is the brilliance of of his writing in like grabbing from these different traditions and then also putting an exclamation point on the end. So the logos in ancient uh, Jewish tradition was um, wisdom, was the embodiment of wisdom, that the logos is the wisdom of God, the mind and thoughts of God, the logos of God is how God articulates him Self. So imagine as a, as a first century Jewish boy or girl hearing this, you're like, I know exactly what you're talking about. You're saying the wisdom of God was with God and was God in the beginning. This wisdom was there. Amazing. Amazing. In a Greek or pagan context, um, the concept of word or logos loosely was like, um, the the spark was the energy the essence of the divine the way to do and think the way that we have our being and understand life and love and everything else that exists in this short life that we live it's the divine energy spark that it's 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 implanted in all of us greek and pagan uh, theology and tradition And then in John, and this is where we get to like the, oh, also, let me just leave this exclamation point here. In John, Jesus is the logos. He's exactly all of those things that we just described. Jesus is all of the above. And now he has made his home, his dwelling, his tabernacle, his place here and among us that all of those things that exist in the ethereal and the uh, philosophical and in the sense of wisdom is now embodied in a person. And this person has been birthed on planet earth and is here to stay, is here to stay, is here to shed light uh, on the earth, is, is here to share life with us and is here to embody love so that we will never forget. And this light will never be extinguished. In John, Jesus is all of these things has made his home, tabernacle, tent, place here and among us. Come on, ugh. Athanasius an early church father writing in the third century reflecting on John's gospel and also some of the heresies and counter that were bubbling up at the time in the, in the, uh, in the 300s. He writes by his eternal word logos, the father God created all things and implanted a nature in his creatures. He did not want to see them us tossed about at the mercy of their own natures. And so be reduced to just nothingness, but, In his goodness, he governs and sustains the whole of nature by his logos, his word, Jesus, who is himself also God. So that under the guidance, providence and ordering of that word, logos, Jesus, the whole of nature might remain stable and coherent in his life, he goes on, stay with me, stay with me. Nature was to share in the father's word logos, Jesus, whose reality is true and be helped by him to exist for without him, it would cease to be for unless the word, the logos, here it is, who is the very image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, kept it in existence, it could not exist. For whatever exists, whether visible or invisible remains in existence, through him, the Logos, Jesus, God made flesh, and in him, the Word, the Logos, Jesus, God made flesh. How good is that? How good is that? And so, the incarnation, the birth, the presence, the physical embodiment of God in Jesus is the climax, is the apex of the story and the work. Of God in the beginning. This is how John gets things rolling. This is how God made his entry into human flesh, in human existence, in human history. This is the apex, the crescendo of the story and the work of God. And what does that look like? I would say grace and truth and love. This is how John puts it. Take a look at verses 12 to 14. Grace and truth or unfailing love and faithfulness. Verse 12, but to all who believed, everyone, everyone who believed, but to all who believed him, the logos, the word and accepted him, believed and received, believed and accepted him. He gave the right to become children of God, God's kids. Gave them the right to become children of God, God's kids. They are reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was unfailing, full of unfailing love and faithfulness or grace and truth. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the father's one and only Son, this is a game changer. This is an absolute game changer for us today. And also for the first hearers that hold on for a second, hold on for a second. It's not just the written word uh, that we commit to memory or rote and religious ritual, but that God is here. God is not distant. In Jesus, God is present and intimate. And then also that God is not angry or aloof or haughty or somewhere else with like arms crossed, just waiting for us to stop praying so that he can get back to his daily business. But instead God is trustworthy and faithful, full of grace and truth to the creation that he loves and gives light to. A.W. Tozer, a uh, fascinating and brilliant contemporary-ish uh, Christian theologian, pastor, preacher, uh, and historian in his work, Christian Living, writes this. He says that we need never shout across the spaces to an absent God because he is nearer than our own soul, closer than our own most secret thoughts. God does not live somewhere Else, But in Jesus, God has set up his home, his presence, his light, his tent, his dwelling, his life, his light among us, in and among us. And what does that light look and feel like? It looks and feels like love. This is the heart of the divine from the beginning, the word, the logos, the mission and message of Jesus, loving God and loving each other. This is the whole of the commands, the summation of my teaching, the reason for the arrival and the continuation of the spirit is love. This is what the light of God looks and feels like. It looks and feels like love. Later, uh, like um, I said before, in one of John's epistles, his shorter writings in John, First John, um, chapter four, verse seven, he puts it this way. So beloved ones who are loved children of God, like we just heard, let us love then one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. One more time. It's so good. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Love is what God looks and feels like. Love is the warmth of the light of Jesus, the logos. This is the mission of the incarnation, Jesus being born into flesh here. This is it. Jesus loves us and draws us towards himself. It's a reason for his arrival. Jesus loves us and draws us towards himself. Jesus loves us and restores us to himself. Jesus loves us and is God with us and for us. Emmanuel, God with us and for us. And Jesus is love and light for the entire world. The darkness can never extinguish it. And so my brothers and sisters in the beginning, the word, the logos, the spark, the energy, the presence, the love, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He, Jesus, the word, the logos, the energy, the presence, the ethic, the spark, the infleshment, the incarnation of the divine. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word, the logos, Jesus gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone for everyone. For everyone, Jesus is the light of the world, my friends. This is what this season means, to wait as Advent, to anticipate with hope that the light of the world has moved in and Jesus and is staying, that Jesus' light and love is staying and the the darkness can never put it out. So my friends, my brothers and sisters, my church family, when you find yourself in a moment or a season or a long period of darkness, or when you feel like the lights have just turned off. May we experience and be reminded and live in the fullness of the word, the logos, the light. May we see Jesus and keep going from there. And so now my friends, may the light of the word, the logos shine upon you and upon your path and guide your way. May the light watch over you and be a companion to you by night. May the light, the word, the logos burn in your hearts and shine through your lives by day. And through your living, may you, may we be a witness of that light to the world. Jesus is the light of the world. And it's in his name we pray these things and together we all said, amen, amen.